Hello, everybody. Welcome. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. The story I'm about to read is old. It's about two years old, to be exact. Goes like this. It's from a news article. Todd Bentley heals people by kicking them, claiming his violence will cure them of diseases. He claims to have cured a man of cancer by punching him in the chest. He shoved slash healed a congregant so hard that the man lost a tooth. One YouTube video features him saying, and I'm thinking, why is the power of God not moving? And God said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. So he did. I inched closer and went, bam! And just as my boot made contact with her nose, she fell under the power of God. Now, I will say that after a brief period of retirement connected with the breakdown of his marriage, he subsequently got remarried and and Todd has returned to ministry. So this is a real thing that really happens. He was um, heading a revival, I think, somewhere in one of those crazy southern states at one point. So things get pretty wild at the worship services in the first century church in the city of Corinth as well. In chapter 14, the apostle Paul says to them, This is from verse 23. It says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Other translations say things like, won't they think you are crazy? Will they not say you are demented? Will will they not say that ye are mad? Madness was unacceptable to Paul. It was not compatible with the Christian faith. It was unworthy of Jesus Christ. Over the years, many individuals have described to me their experiences in churches where everyone seemed to lose control. They maybe weren't as radical as getting punched in the chest or kicked in the face, uh, but a lot of strange things happen in the name of worship uh, and uh, in the guise of the Holy Spirit. Madness not compatible with Christianity, not worthy of Jesus. To those acting as though they were out of their minds, Paul, who nevertheless loved them dearly, graciously says in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Their madness when exercising the gifts is given perspective in these three verses. It had to do with what they had practiced in their previous pagan religions as they worshipped dumb idols. They carried into the church baggage from paganism that had no place in the worship of the one true God. The exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit should not be anything like that, not in character, not in content. And that's the first and foundational point Paul makes in these three verses before he goes on to even talk about the gifts themselves. And so he says again in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. For sure, he did not want them to be ignorant of the proper manifestation and exercising of the gifts. But there's something more to this as well. In these verses, he gives them the reason why their exercise of the gifts is flawed, or at least a major reason for it. He explains it to them by appealing to their background with dumb idols. 
Now, before we get to their background, let me make an important observation. This opening verse is very important because it lets us know that our understanding of the Holy Spirit, of his gifts, of their operation in the church, is expounded to us in the Bible. Let me put it another way. No matter what I may think about the Holy Spirit and his gifts, no matter what I have experienced or desire to experience, it must be something I can find or defend from the word of God. The same Holy Spirit giving me gifts and energizing them inspired the writers of the Bible. There can be no contradiction between his exposition and their experience. This can't be overstressed. Too much of what happens in charismatic churches today is just contrary to what the Bible teaches. It just is contrary. Corinth is a good example. What they were doing, by the time we get to chapter 14, what they were doing was wrong, even though there was a manifestation of uh, gifts of the Spirit. Likewise, cessationists... We dealt with some of these terms last week. A cessationist is a person who believes certain of the gifts have ceased to exist, ceased to operate. Uh, They ignore or reinterpret teaching on the gifts in order to deny their continuation in the church. I I think that both camps, we might say, are, are not handling the Scripture very well. Now, obviously, everyone says they submit to the Bible as their final authority. I remember one time when I was new in Hanford, there was a, a guy that was starting an independent men's fellowship, which that's fine, uh, and, and he, he was going to teach through 1 Corinthians. And so I called him because they want, you know, our guys want to know, you know, what we thought about that. Could they go or would we promote it or something like that? And so I called him. I said, hey, let me just ask you. I just, let's get right to it. What are you going to teach when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? I'm going to teach what the Bible teaches. Okay. What does that mean? whatever's there in the word I'm going to do. It took me like 15 minutes to, of, of asking him, you know, do, do you believe in this? Finally, he said, I, I, I certainly believe that certain of the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. And, and then I asked him what his tradition was and all that. And I said, well, thanks. I just, that's all I wanted to know is what you were going to teach. And so, but it reminded me that everybody thinks they're teaching what the Bible teaches. Uh, I think I'm teaching what the Bible teaches, and it's up to you to be good Bereans and, and figure all this out and think, well, you know, this is what Pastor Gene said. Does that make sense? Is that what these words really mean? And so um, that's, you know, our opinion here is that cessationism is extreme and that there is a charismania that is extreme and that we want to be somewhere, I don't even want to say in the middle, we just we want to be as biblical as possible, but it's up to all of us to study this out. Now, verse 2 He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. The Gentile believers at Corinth had been saved out of Greek mystery religions in which wild spiritual experiences were considered normal. They were encouraged. These people were accustomed to being carried away in experiences that were called either ecstasies or enthusiasms. That's what it means to be carried away. It's a reference to these two experiences. Ecstasies were supernatural contacts with pagan deities. Through frenzied hypnotic chants and ceremonies, the worshipers experienced semi-conscious euphoric trances. Enthusiasms involved chanting and divination and dreams. Ecstasies and enthusiasms were coveted spiritual experiences. In them, you were carried away by the power of the deity 
whom we would say is a demon, having no control over what you said or did. And I'm not going too far to suggest that as pagans they were in contact with demons. Paul said something similar early in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. He said, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. And so dealing with some of the rituals that took place in the pagan temples, he said, hey, they're, they're not just dumb idols. They are dumb idols, what you're looking at, the wood or the stone or whatever, but behind it is the power of a demon. And so uh, they were literally worshiping demons without knowing it. Listen to these quotes giving you a better idea of just what we mean by enthusiasms and ecstasies and the worship of demons. Bear in mind, these are some of the milder quotes that I came across. Here's one. Greeks considered madness an important aspect of worship. Women in particular, sorry ladies, responded to Bacchus, known as Dionysus, the god of madness. Him of the orgiastic cry, exciter of women, Dionysus glorified with mad honors. Here's another quote. Sorry for this one. There was also a tradition that women during the course of the worship tore apart young animals and ate them raw, warm and bleeding, therefore receiving within themselves the life of the God. Here's another quote. Apart from savagery and shouting, ancient writers usually describe worshipers of Dionysus as engaging in dancing, drinking, sexual promiscuity, varying degrees of undress, and other forms of excessive behavior. It was only in frenzy that one could hold communion with the God or in ecstasy so great that the soul seemed to leave the body and to become one with him. There are also references to women worshiping, quote, by means of war dances accompanied by uproar and noise and cymbals and drums and also by flute. So this is the historic setting that Paul is dealing with. This is a Gentile church. These people came out of this kind of worship experience, and they were bringing that behavior into the church at Corinth. And by the way, This helps us understand Paul's later exhortations directed especially to the gals about their proper conduct in the worship services of the church. Women in the pagan setting were expected to do war dances and hoop and holler and take their clothes off and do all kinds of weird stuff. And and you know what? Um, People bring weird things into their worship of the Lord. And it also relates to his comments to open chapter 13, namely, remember when he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. They were familiar with these unintelligible sounds from their pagan days. That's what they actually did when they worshiped pagan deities. They they, uh, played the flute and the the cymbal uh, unintelligibly and they ran around and they did these war dances. The Corinthians brought this background into the church. They were used to being carried away in their worship, having no control over what they said or did. They had grown up in worship services of pagan deities. The less control you had, the more contact you were in with the deity. And they associated this lack of control with a deep spirituality. We might say that they thought any so-called spiritual experience was good insofar as it was evidence of contact with God. I know people like that. As long as something happens, they are happy because they believe God had visited them. There was some visible visitation 
because people acted weird. And, and this is, I, I mean, I don't, it, that's a mild way of putting it. I'm not making fun of anybody. This is, this is what a lot of Pentecostals grow up believing. I, I remember one sweet old lady years ago came up to me after a service at church, and she says, that was okay preaching, but you didn't get into the Pentecost. And she started doing a little dance right in front of me. Then she said, it was cute, I'll finish the story. She said, she said I'm going to give you a Pentecostal handshake. And I thought, oh man, what is this? Like a buzzer, you know? And I, I shook her hand, she gave me a $10 bill. You know, that was like her tithe. So let's bring back the Pentecostal handshake is what I say. You want to get into Pentecost, that's one I can, glory. So anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I've experienced this person, I've seen this happen, and people have told me, you know, they just say, yeah, this happened, and it doesn't matter the content of it or the character of it or that it was disruptive, it was just something happened that was weird, and so, man, there, there's God. There's God acting weird again, you know, and it just, it's astonishing, really. Um, verse three, or well, let me... First of all, Paul was already preparing them for a principle he's going to preach throughout these chapters, which really bothers some people, namely that what counts is the believer remain in control and that the experiences be intelligible, contain proper biblical content, and be in character with the holiness of Jesus. And when you start to put those kinds of uh, rules, you would say, then people back up and they say, oh, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And I, I hear them say, if the Holy Spirit can't act weird, then God's not in our midst. And, that, and Paul, that's, Paul is going to say, man, I, I speak in tongues more than you all. Uh, I mean, tongue, he wanted to go tongue to tongue with them and said, man, you, you want to you have a tongue-a-thon? Let's go. I mean, you can't speak in tongues more than I can. I can out-tongue anybody here. But here are the rules for speaking in tongues. And so we'll get to that. So verse three, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now admittedly, this isn't the easiest verse to uh, parse out, but here's what I think is going on. His therefore lets us know he's concluding these opening comments by making an application of the facts he's just presented to them about their former worship experiences. I make known to you, recalls his statement, I don't want you to be ignorant. So they were ignorant, he's now making it known to them. And secondly, there can be no disagreement with Paul on this point. He's saying, this is what I have to say about this. He says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Was anyone actually saying Jesus was accursed? Probably not. I, I can't see that happening even in Corinth. But as we've seen, some of their previous pagan behavior had been as outrageous as a Christian saying Jesus is accursed. And so I think Paul's point is that in their former worship of idols, you never knew what a person might say or do. That's never the case if your worship is truly being led by God the Holy Spirit. Let me put it another way. If Paul were to ask any of them, is it possible for you under the influence of the Holy Spirit to call Jesus accursed, they would say, well, no. 
And that establishes two things in our mind. It establishes that the Holy Spirit cannot contradict himself. There are boundaries that of in your behavior that you cannot cross if you're really being led by the Spirit. And it establishes that a Christian doesn't lose control. You can't say, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I did this, but I didn't know what I was doing because the Holy Spirit took over. And so Paul is establishing that there are real boundaries that they would even agree with. They just didn't know where they were yet. And that's going to be Paul's point throughout his teaching on the gifts. They, they, there are boundaries that God has set because he has in mind the edifying of all the believers and the glorifying of Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, Anyone can say the words, Jesus is Lord, whether they mean them or not. In the first century, when annually you had to declare that Caesar is Lord and pinch incense to his, a bust of him and swear allegiance to him, these words took on a more powerful meaning because a Christian was not able to do this. You could not in good conscience swear allegiance to Caesar in that way, in that ritual. The same Spirit of God who emboldened these believers to defy Rome by refusing to swear allegiance to Caesar over Jesus Christ would never lead them to do anything that would hurt the testimony of Christ. And so basically they they couldn't swear allegiance to Caesar because it would ruin their testimony as Christians because it it was a religious ritual. And so Paul's saying that Jesus Christ would never, the Holy Spirit would never lead you to do anything that would hurt the testimony of Christ, which brings us back full circle to the fact that in Corinth, both non-believers and young believers thought they were mad, that they were demented, that they were crazy, and I would submit to you that that did hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. Just think about it. You're you're in Corinth, you're sharing with people out in the marketplace about Jesus Christ, um, unbelievers, you invite them to church where they can hear more about the Lord, they come in, the Corinthians are doing all this mad, demented, crazy behavior, what kind of a testimony is that about the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not a good one. It's not, therefore, something that the Holy Spirit would lead them to do. The Holy Spirit is not in contradiction to the rest of the Trinity. He's not the crazy, you know, left-out member of the Trinity that has his own agenda. And, and sadly, I always make, we always laugh about this, but it, it's, and it's kind of comical, but it's not. Sometimes in churches, that's the way the Holy Spirit is viewed. It's like, hey, he hasn't been welcome here because of the Father and the Son, but let's get him in. Let's get him in so he can blow the top off of this joint. And, and, and we can, you know, party like it's Corinth or something like that. And so I think Paul is saying, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit is concerned. You, you, guys, you guys are concerned about your testimony, so be concerned about it when you're worshiping the Lord because people think you are crazy. And Paul didn't say, don't worry about those people. They'll figure it out once the Spirit gets Pentecost going in them. He didn't say, he said, no, they think you're crazy because guess what? You're crazy. You're not worshiping God the way that it, the Holy Spirit wants you to worship him. We all bring baggage to our understanding of the proper exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Some of us are more heavy laden than others depending on our background. All of us have a background. Some of us has, have like kind of a, an agnostic background. I grew up Catholic, but when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, what? I mean, when I grew up, there wasn't a charismatic Catholic movement, and I was Catholic in name only. Once I got confirmed, I was in. I was done with Roman Catholicism. So the gifts of the Spirit were just, you know, new territory for me. But some of you come from a Pentecostal background, and I would guess that you still struggle with some of this. You think, well, I don't know, that's maybe going too far. I've seen some crazy things by some really sweet people, and you know, I, I, I think they were genuine. And then some of you come from a more conservative background where you're wondering if this is the church for you anymore because you think, well, are, what, are we, what are we getting ourselves into? In a minute, Gene's going to be giving us mantras so that we all speak in tongues. I mean, you know, I, I understand what goes on. I remember the first time I had just gotten saved and the guy who led me to Christ, he wanted me to listen to Greg Laurie's series on the Holy Spirit and his gifts and I immediately thought he was telling me I wasn't really saved because I, I needed something more and I, I mean, I got totally offended and, and it took me a while to put all that into perspective. So it's a very volatile kind of issue and, and that's why we're gonna try and be fair, we're gonna try and be balanced like a kind of a Fox News approach to the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, fair and balanced, you can't say that anymore, right? But uh, anyway, because I know you're going to think that. I'm thinking it. We might as well get it out there. Um, so, uh, you know, we all just need to listen, listen to the, what the Spirit says to our church and, and, and be moving in, in that way. And so Paul, what he's establishing is that, hey, guys, you're blowing it. To the Corinthian church, he says, you're blowing it. You're bringing, people think you're crazy, and you know what? You are when it comes to this because uh, you're, you're not going about it the right way. We'll get to the right way, but first of all, I need to let you know that you really are able to stay in control uh, and, and the Holy Spirit doesn't take over like these pagan deities which were demons. And, it, and, and the more noise you make and the more movement you have doesn't indicate the greater flow of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, it can be just the opposite. And so uh, that's where we're at up to this point. So